This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Hello, Hearts of Oak. Welcome to another interview with David Carpin, which is coming up in a moment. We are going to talk about 15-minute cities, or 20-minute neighbourhoods. And David is talking about this as he wants to stand for the Reform Party. He'll be the candidate for Henley for the next general election. He will also stand in the local election, the Oxford local elections, uh, whenever they happen. And he is extremely concerned with this 15-minute city idea. And Oxford has been used as a test base for this. We talk about what the scheme is which is Oxford will be divided up into zones, areas. And if you travel outside that area in your car and don't have permission, you'll be fined £70. You will get permits to give you permission to travel outside so many times a year. Uh, And if you don't get that permission, you will be fined. It is all against the motorist. It is an attack on the motorist and it's driven by the green agenda, by zero emissions, carbon neutral, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's how it's driven. And uh, the people in Oxford seem to be against it. Oxford Council don't seem to be concerned about that. They're pushing ahead anyway. And this is a, a test case. And obviously, the push is for this to be ruled out across the country. So David will discuss this, why he is standing with reform and why we need to oppose this creeping control coming across our cities in the UK. Enjoy the interview. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you for joining us on another interview. And we are over back to UK side, looking at UK issues and UK politics. And it is absolute delight to be joined by David Corp. And David, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on Hearts of Oak. Great to have you on. And uh, the link I put under David is Reform Party UK. Uh, we'll touch on that. But Dave, do you want to introduce yourself and then that connects with that tagline underneath your name? Yeah, so I'm the uh, Reform candidate for Henley Oxfordshire. And uh, within Oxford itself, there is uh, some politics going on which will not just impact the people of Oxford, but potentially uh, different countries all over the world. And and that's really what we want to discuss today. This is a a worldwide issue, you're right. And Oxford has been used as a a testing ground. And we've titled this the Oxford Experiment with 15-Minute Cities. And uh, at the moment, I think Oxfordshire County Council, um, which is Labour, but that's no bad or good thing any longer in UK politics and backed by everyone else there, the Lib Dems, I think the Greens. Um, they they want to divide Oxford into six areas, which are called, I think, 15-minute districts. And this is wouldn't be believable if it was not true. And I think when I first came across this with Oxford Council proposing it. I don't know when it was, sometime last year, could have been middle of last year. I thought it was some kind of spoof, but it is not. David, do you want to just let us know, uh, because this is your neck of the woods, this is your area, uh, what exactly is being proposed by Oxford Council? So Oxford Council are planning to split uh, Oxford City into six of these 15 to 20 minute regions. 
So the, the theory is that uh, you should be able to travel from your home 15 to 20 minutes and have all amenities available to you, schools, hospitals, uh, foods, shopping, whatever you need. And that is 15 to 20 minutes by bike or walking. So what's, what's happening in practice is that the cars, the, there's a constraint of travel, or this will be the plan for 2024, there'll be a constraint of travel whereby somebody who lives within Oxford who wants to go from one zone to another can only do that uh, 100 times in the space of a year. And if you're, if, if you're a two-car family, that effectively means a husband and wife only have 50 uh, opportunities to travel so you can imagine if you're going from zone a to zone b you're going and your school is in a different zone or your work is in a different zone you could start racking up fines very quickly or you'd have to take different routes around the city use a ring road which would be a much longer journey more expensive more time consuming potentially more pollution as well um, it, it sounds like it's simply going to mean that the ring round around Oxford, where I was, uh, I think December, meeting up with uh, with someone there, and it it means the ring road is going to be utterly congested. I mean, you're going to have to have an M25 around Oxford basically to, to cope with this. Well, that that's the point, isn't it? That if uh, Oxford has a congestion problem, all you're doing it is moving it to the next street along, and if you block that street off, you move it to the next street along again. So the ring road uh, will be a chock-a-block full of traffic and people's journey sounds will be longer and, and the costs of travel will be much greater. I mean, it's obviously cities are congested. Oxford is is congested, as is where I am here in, in West London. Um, but it seems a, a strange venture to simply, in effect, make it legal to travel uh, 15 minutes away that doesn't seem to be the the best solution well you would have thought better solutions would be to improve the infrastructure within the city itself particularly bus uh bus journeys and uh but another problem that oxford specifically has is it's um coning off a lot of these streets so it's not possible to physically travel down them they're putting bollards up and uh there is a big backlash against this i mean some of these have, have been removed uh, forcibly, uh, in order that people can move around the city. Uh, to tell us about that, because again, those outside the UK may not understand the madness of low traffic neighbourhoods. Uh, and I face, I remember getting stuck. I remember going for a haircut and spending 50 minutes trying to get out of where I was because I literally could not vacate the area I was in. Um, but explain to the viewers who may not be UK-based what on earth it is. So you, you can imagine streets of terrace houses. A lot, lots of cities and lots of uh, towns within the UK have these rows of terrace houses. And uh, they were built in Victorian or Edwardian times pre-car. But there are streets which are big enough to accommodate cars. And then, of course, uh, cars need to park outside each of these terrace houses. So the problem that Oxford has is by cordoning off these streets, you can be traveling down the street and you just hit a whole load of bollards, you're stuck, you have to do a U-turn and you have to find your way out. It's not a straightforward process. And it's not simply blocking off the roads, but it's cameras that take your picture. So, I mean, explain that. 
Uh, and this is the reason that the plan to really roll this out properly is 2024, because a lot of the cameras have been installed. All of the infrastructure has been installed this year to make sure that everybody can, in effect, be fined for going to the wrong part of town from next year forward. And part of the technology is already in place. It's just it's been rolled out further. And uh, I've seen it here in London, but it does, there's a cost as well. It, it's not as if it's free to put a network of cameras up across a city. There is a cost to it. There's a cost, and that has been uh, foot by the government. So the government has said to Canterbury and to Oxford that uh, we want you to, to trial this, and uh, these are two willing participants. So what's interesting about this is if you go back to the basics of your fundamental rights and freedoms, your inalienable rights, your right to travel, your right to go to work. These are being constrained, uh, not just by the Greens and Labour Party and Lib Dems in local government, but uh, it's effectively being sponsored by a Tory government. That That is a big issue because I think many of us who are perceived or see ourselves on the right of politics would happily point the finger at Labour, Liberal Democrats, Greens. But it's it's an interesting concept whenever it is a government which in theory is centre-right is actually pushing this agenda. This government hasn't been centre-right for a very long time. Uh, the only thing you could say of them is they haven't gone completely woke. But if, if you consider any concept of welfare socialism, uh, Immigration, so last year, for instance, um, rightly or wrongly, this country took in a million immigrants. Now, there can't be many Tory voters thinking that that's a good idea. So the moral of the story is that the Tory government uh, has their own agenda, which is quite different from the agenda of their, their own uh, party membership. Um, I we'll get on the politics side in a little bit and talk about reform. But if we can stick to what is happening, because Oxford is... It's not a. It's a very well-known city because of the university there. Um, it's known throughout the world, um, but it's not a, a massive city as such, isn't it? No, it it really isn't a, a big city. But because it is a university town, it has a certain politic associated with it, uh, and not just the students, but the lecturers as well, and everybody associated with. Uh, with that university city. So Oxfordshire, of course, itself outside the city has plenty of smaller villages, plenty of greenery and a, a different type of demographic and a different type of politic associated with it. But in some ways, Oxford is the perfect place to, to trial something like this, not from a practical perspective. I mean, practically it's absurd, but from a political perspective, the right people are there to try and implement it. And you touched on the beginning, but this basically means that if you live in your zone, and th this all sounds like a dystopian movie, but if you live in your zone, then actually you need to request permission to drive outside that zone. And if you don't ask permission, and that permission is granted like a child, then you'll be punished. That's absolutely the case. So what sort of country... Uh, do you think that we're living in whereby you have to ask somebody permission to leave your front door to go from A to B and that somebody's actually going to measure how far you travel, where you go, how you travel by car or otherwise uh, and ultimately you will be punished by, by way of fines 
for going to the wrong place too often. I, I, so this, this is a big scope creep because if you start off with um, the idea of living in Oxford and that one, one family can essentially do 100 journeys, we know that if this were ever successfully implemented, that number of journeys would be reduced. And if you're traveling from outside Oxford into Oxford, it's only 25 journeys that you can do. Wow, wow, <laughs> stay away from Oxford. I used to love Oxford. I used to love driving in and, and going around. But this, it affects many things. It affects if, so for instance, if you apply for a school and you can't get into schools and there are massive pressures on our education system because of unlimited immigration. But if you want to get your closest school and in the UK, we put down what, six choices. If mm -hmm. you end up in choice six and that ends up being 15 and a half minutes walk away from where you are, then actually there's no way that you could drop the kids off on the way to work that you then have to change schools in effect. Well, there's a couple of problems there, aren't there? So the first thing is you could go to the end of your boundary and ask your children to walk the next 800 yards. And uh, the other option is exemptions. And the problem with exemptions, well, who gets an exemption? Does the, the mother traveling, uh, taking her kids to school get the exemption? Do the counselors themselves get the exemption? Uh, so it's open to abuse in every way, shape and form. I could see this as a black market scheme. You're right. You could... David, you need to get on the council because you can make a lot of money in selling these <laughs> permits to the public. <laughs> exactly. It, but you're right, it opens up to, again, if if you have a mum dropping the kids off and she is uh, pregnant and doesn't want to, to wait in the rain and it is much easier, much more conducive, then she'll have to think, well, I've 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 maybe nearly used up my allocation this year do I want to pay a 70 pound fine? And and 70 pounds is a lot for most members of the public. It, it certainly is. And you can imagine that, uh, again, uh, more wealthy people might even be able to tolerate it and just pay the, the tickets as, as they do in central London, just park up anywhere. But for most people, it's going to be completely out of the question. And you could rack up those 70 pound fines very, very quickly. And how do you know that you're going to get one? There'll be lots of, there'll have to be a call center People phone up and say, right, I've moved from A to B. Am I going to have to pay a fine on this one? So the, the whole infrastructure is a little bit more complicated than we might imagine, and it's simply impractical. And, and ultimately, ultimately, it can only really work if, if everyone gets rid of cars. And everybody voluntarily says, right, that's it. We, we, will, we will do this. We will uh, get bicycles and we will walk or we will ride our bikes the 15 20 minutes but then of course the practicalities are you've got issues there because how do you take your kids to school on the bike or are you going to walk it all the time or will the school be within your zone well i mean I... And will will they stop the fines at cars and ultimately with the scope creep it will just continue to constrain travel of any variety well it it will um and i I know if 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 I if if I was living in Oxford and and in that situation, it could be difficult because we have two children go to different school. Then you work in a, a third area, so you've got three three drop offs in effect, um, and many people will be in that situation where they are punished for simply making sure their children get to school and making sure they get to work. 
and schools, hospitals. There, there are people that need to make frequent visits to hospitals, and some of those people might come from outside of time, the town and only have the 25 uh, opportunities to go into, into the city. So again, do they need to apply for exemptions? How is it going to work? Will they be expected to rack up fines? And hospitals are uh, interesting cases anyway, because there's never enough parking. Uh, they tend to charge you for the parking. And then on top of that parking fee and the cost of getting there, you've potentially got the fines as well. Um, this is just to, to look at it from a wider angle. This is not just a UK issue. Um, I think the 50-minute city idea or 20-minute neighbourhood, however you want to call it, uh, was born from C40, which is a network of, of mayors worldwide, chaired by City Can, which uh, the mayor of London, the awful, awful, awful mayor of London, the socialist mayor of London. Um, but th this is, I wonder whether the, the world, and I think there was an issue in front of, but I wonder whether these mayors are basically using Oxford as a, a Petri dish to trial out this experiment. Yeah, so it, it's part of Agenda 2030 from the United Nations yeah. and the World Economic Forum have uh, stepped up to suggest that they can help implement this. So, for instance, the SDIS 21, which is Sustainable Development Impact Summit, is a World Economic Summit, World Economic Forum Summit that took place last year in 2021. Uh, and they mentioned that as well as Oxford, Canterbury, it's been rolled out. They're looking at Birmingham in the UK and they're already working with Melbourne, Australia, and they're already working with Paris, France. Uh, so I, I would imagine there'll be other cities and towns as well all around the world. So the idea is to roll this out much further. They'll, they'll try different test beds. Uh, India is another place. Uh, things are often tried in India because if you manage to, to lock India down, because they've got such a big uh, wealth divide and such a big population. And with people, as you can imagine, some of them even sleeping on, on pavements, to actually corral all of the people into getting the same thing done is a very difficult, difficult thing to do. So India is often a test bed for this type of activity as well. Um, where it's it seems to be driven hard on on the left, and it does seem to be the green agenda taking inspiration, I guess, from the illiberal days of lockdown that seems to be a boon to them to push this forward yeah that's right so going back to the sustainable development impact summits that will economic forum uh summit that took place in 2021 I, I listened it was chaired by a chap called carlo ratti of mit and they had a number of people from australia india and and the uk but i was just i just picked out some of the buzzwords from it and as you rightly say, the, the pandemic was an opportunity to promote equality, uh, to drive social outcomes and social change. It's about the environment and health uh, and about the community. It's about the quality of access and the quality of opportunity to reduce social inequality. Uh, it's about the climate emergency. Um, we're going to build back better. And it's about marginalized communities, diversity and equity. Now, you could say I've taken all of those words out of context, but the reality is there is no context. Uh, this is just uh, virtue signaling. And for, for you and me, we might not fully uh, be emotionally engaged with this type of uh, language, but the left are. Uh, and, and that's the point, really. This is absolutely driven by 
Green Party, Labour Party, left-wing ideology. It's all uh, pie-in-the-sky sort of socialist Marxist ideology. No, it is. And when you say climate emergency, I'm more concerned of the legacy of lockdown emergency, the destruction that's done. Um, and climate emergency doesn't... Uh, even whether, and I, I don't accept it, and I think you're exactly the same, David, uh, don't accept the man-made climate change argument, but even if you did partially accept that, surely the destruction of lockdown to families, businesses and lives, that has to be a short-term priority, but yet that seems to be completely ignored. It's ignored, and this ideology will move us forward to climate lockdowns. And um, there's been a big, big pushback in, in Oxford uh, about this. And that surprises me, I've got to say, because British people haven't really pushed back on, on much in the last 20 years. Uh, but if you look at the Oxford County Council website, questions like this ha have come up. You know, is this just a climate lockdown? And the council have had to come back and, and answer a lot of very difficult questions. Uh, I think that there is so much pushback that it, it might be enough to stop them moving forward with it. Well, I want to get in the, the public pushback, and I know you've been involved in that, And uh, but I was reading about this, I think it was back in November, and that could have been me the first time, I think it was the Times actually, uh, brought this story to public attention um, and made it a, a I, I guess, exposed this issue to the public at large. Um, and I know there was a public consultation uh, the problem is that if you've got members of the cabinet who are saying that it's all it's going to happen uh, and it's definitely going to happen and that's in the middle of a consultation period it shows that actually the council are uh, ready to disregard the views of the public which shows that the democratic system has completely failed yes the democratic system has, has failed for really quite a long time. A lot of our checks and balances have, have been uh, removed effectively. Uh, and as you say, that uh, the, these councils and our own governments, they seem to believe that uh, they lord it over us. They should be public servants and they should be treated as such and they should recognise that they should serve the public, not implement ideologies, which is what's happening at all layers of government. In the UK, we've got all sorts of problems with government in that we have far too much of it. You can start off with the United Nations. They've got splinter groups such as the World Health Organization, which we hadn't necessarily even heard of three or four years ago. Then you've got the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change. Then beneath that, you've got the European Union. It's debatable whether we've actually left the European Union at all, because we've, we've certainly signed a couple of treaties with them. A withdrawal agreement which doesn't withdraw from anything and then a, a further agreement called PESCO which is to do with armed forces then of course you've got 650 people in parliament you've got the Welsh and Scottish uh, national assemblies beneath that then you've got various layers of council uh, parish councils town councils county councils uh, then we've got thousands of NGOs and quangos we've got a giant civil service that nobody's prepared to touch and some of that uh, civil service, uh, the NHS is a very good example, that has been allowed to get you know, wildly out of control in terms of its spending and nobody's questioning its spending. So we, we have uh, so much government lording it over us 
that the private individual really is uh, struggling to make any way forward. What you're describing seems to be a massive disconnect between the ordinary person and the institutions above us. And I think we've seen that certainly um, highlighted during COVID worldwide. Uh, absolutely. And if I was to send an email to my local MP, which I've done, the, the sort of emails that I receive back, uh, he does not believe he's a public servant. He believes he's there to lord it all over us and influence any sort of globalist, socialist agenda, even though he's a Tory. And that's the reason that I'm prepared to uh, stand against him and not necessarily win, but certainly take enough votes away to get him out. Well, David, you seem to forget that you're... Those officials above us, they know better. You're just simply David Carpin. What would you know? Well, I, I know that uh, I should have inalienable rights. I know, for instance, I wasn't put on, on God's earth to consume an unlimited number of Pfizer vaccines, as an example. Uh, the, the moral of the story is that you know I should be free to, to, to walk outside my front door, to breathe the air, to take a dog for a walk, to enjoy nature uh, without being uh, constrained in any way and told where I can go and where I can't go. Interestingly enough, we're talking about travel and if you look at the inside of the, the British passport, it says that you should be allowed to travel without let nor hindrance and you would travel by the authority of Her Majesty the Queen, which now of course is, is His Majesty the King. So you can see that historically we had these inalienable rights, so why should we lose them now? And if we can travel cross-border, why can't we travel within our own city? Completely. Uh, you touched on the politics, and I said your handle, reformparty.uk. Tell us why you then personally have got involved with, uh, with Reform Party, uh, why you've chosen to go through the process of standing. Um, t tell us about kind of that for you personally. So uh, I, I started taking politics uh, more seriously let's say six or seven years ago and i'd already come to the conclusion that the main parties uh the labor party the lib dems and the conservative party the conservatives certainly weren't conservative anymore and the outcomes were always the same it really didn't matter which party you had in parliament yes you got a bit more woke nonsense from the labor party but apart from that the the outcomes really were all uh, always the same and when I studied this, I, I noticed that uh, the Tories had been members of the Bilderberg Group since 1965, yep. the uh, Labour Party and Lib Dems since 1985. These are, are think tanks. But even to this day, all political parties attend them and come back with some of the same conclusions. You, you look then at the history of the Tory party from 1965 and in the early mid-60s, the there was a two-horse race between Ted Heath and Enoch Powell. Mm. And of course, Ted Heath became uh, Prime Minister as a compliant Bilderberger. Yeah. And Enoch Powell uh, didn't after, after his 1968 speech, I would imagine. It, 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 it sounds like Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak run all over again. Same thing. That's right. So, <laughs> so even, even Liz Truss, you see. She was Prime Minister for six weeks, but she had a job to do, and her job was to sign that PESCO agreement, which aligns us even further into the European Union. Mm. We're supposed to have left. Uh, now, again, the, the good news, we understand our history, because unlike 1963 and the JFK assassination, and those documents have never been released, yeah. we know 
at, because of the 25-year rule, what happened in the 1970s and how we got into the European economic community. Uh, and with all of that effort to get us in, were they likely to let us uh, leave easily? And of course, we had three or four years of enormous uh, battle through the media. There were, in fact, four votes. There was a referendum, there was uh, the uh, local elections, there the European elections as a general election, and all of them said the same thing, we want to leave the European Union. So the only way that the Tories had of uh, obfuscating this was to, rather than to repeal the European Communities Act, which would just got us straight out, uh, they decided to go, rather than use our own constitution, to use the European Union's constitution, trigger Article 50, uh, eventually sign a treaty called a withdrawal agreement. Well, if you talk to the Northern Irish and you talk to the fishermen, then there's been absolutely no withdrawal whatsoever. Mm. And then further to that, of course, Liz Truss has uh, signed us into PESCO, which means our Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, MI5, MI6, nuclear deterrent is all under the control of the European Union. So we're actually now more in the European Union today than we were in 2016 just without the MEPs. Yeah, no, and, and it seems into that that you have reform being a, a fresh voice, obviously came out of UKIP, was the Brexit party, and then has, has rebranded as reform. Uh, but it does seem to be the kind of one kid on the block that's talking common sense on these issues. And polling at about 9 or 10% as well. So a lot of the dis disenfranchised Tories, who perhaps are conservative, but uh, have recognised that their party certainly isn't, um, are coming across the reform now, and who, who knows, maybe some of the MPs will as well. But reform will fill 650 candidates, and I believe we have even more than that, so there's a, another 100 or 200 on top of that could, that could stand. So we will challenge every single seat across the country and take as many votes away from the Tories as we possibly can. Um, if you're a... A conservative voter, I, I can't see how you can realistically vote for the Conservative Party. And to put it in context with any US viewers, uh, the Conservative Party are basically your rhinos over a state side if you're watching there. But I I mean, I I can't any time. Um, I mean, I've I voted Conservative at different times. Uh, I voted UKIP a uh, number of times. But actually... For the first time, I'm thinking actually there's there's actually I, I could not. It doesn't matter what the makeup of my constituency was. There's no way I could bring myself uh, to vote for conservative. I think many conservative voters will be in that same boat coming up to whenever the next general election is. I, I think part of that problem is the speed of movement. So historically, when the um, a lot of the sort of left-wing ideas are pumped through the media. The, the people who are left-wing already just shoot straight over to as far left as you can possibly go. But the movement from the right is much, much slower. It moves to the left, mm -hmm. but it moves slowly. But I think what we saw with the lockdowns and with COVID, that this, the rate of change is so great now. And, and with these climate lockdowns as well in Oxford, uh, a lot of people not weren't just from Oxford's that were leafleting over the weekend. They weren't just from, from the UK, people from Ireland, uh, all sorts of places and all sorts of people getting together, making sure that within the space of a couple of hours, every single house received a leaflet 
that they understood what these climate lockdowns are all about. Tell us more about that, because I would have loved to have been there, and sadly I couldn't. I talked to a number of people from Together Declaration and from Reform, and I, I wanted to, to be there. But that seems to have, have galvanised, I hope it's not too little too late, but galvanised individuals from different organisations and politically, I think, from Reform. But tell us what, what happened on the Saturday. Uh, so everyone was uh, invited to meet up into a car park and... Uh, pick up some leaflets and to deliver them. So it's very, very similar to a political campaign where you just want to leaflet an entire area. So we needed about 500 people, we, we got that. Uh, so people then picked up the area map. So it gave them a number of streets, picked up their leaflets, picked up a t-shirt and then off they went. They made their way to that part of Oxford to deliver those, those leaflets. It's very well organized. Uh, we got a bit of media coverage as well. Not, of course, not from mainstream media, but we got some media coverage too. And you, it, it brought, uh, I mean, I think the Freds were there as well. They were, yes. Right, said Fred were there, handing out the T-shirts. Uh, I, I, but I, I love that, the way an issue which is so destructive and which has been used as a testbed that you pull in you've got musicians uh, you've got camping groups like together declaration you've got individuals who maybe this would not be the first thing they would be involved in but they they see the danger and to me that alliances always are exciting whenever they come together because you realize that actually the public are beginning to wake up and get it yeah they can see the scope creep if it works in oxford that it it will be uh, extended within Oxford itself. So you'll have reduced travel until eventually you'll have no car at all. And then outside of, of Oxford, uh, it's gonna hit them too. And of course, this isn't just even just a question for, for cities and towns. Once the cities and towns are done, what happens to everywhere else? Uh, and as I say, Birmingham, Canterbury, Oxford in the UK, Melbourne, Australia, the other side of the world, Paris on the European mainland, is coming to you very, very soon, unless you do something about it. Well, so, what is, what's the pushback in Oxford? Because I, I know in, in London, from watching the rollout of, of ULES, which is ultra low emission zones, which are if your car is a certain age, then you get, you have to pay 15, 20 pounds to drive in. Um, and, the expectation is that everyone buys a new Tesla, which is, of course, above the vast majority of people's. I certainly couldn't afford uh, to buy any electric car, never mind charge it from my flat, my sixth story flat. But it's this push and the it is it is the elites, those in government, they think actually just go and buy a new car, 30, 40, 50,000, that, that, that's small change to some people. And that's money that would be very hardly um, hard work to earn for most of the public. But uh, I think you've got this massive disconnect with those in authority and the vast majority of people who simply will feel they are being punished by anything like this again it comes back to scope creep doesn't it the, the concept of an electric vehicle is not a new concept i mean i can remember uh, milk floats from the from the 1970s and in fact i think they date back to, to the 1930s or even before that so we're not talking about new technology here what we're talking about is more expensive technology 
And even when you go back to the old petrol vehicles and diesel vehicles, you ask yourself the question, well, uh, why do I need a seatbelt? Why do I need airbags? Why do I need this, that, the other? Now, you're told, well, it's, it's for your safety. But the reality is a lot of this European legislation in, in particular would legislate to put these extra bells and whistles on vehicles in order to push the price up. So really, uh, in a sort of a libertarian society, you should have the choice. You should have the choice of the type of car, the uh, amount of equipment that you want on the car. You know, if you want to run around in a, uh, a very bog standard sort of Fiat 600 micro car, why should it cost more than £5,000? So what's in fact happening here is that the price of everything is being pushed up. If you look at the economics of, of the situation, if a country has, let's say, no growth, zero growth and zero inflation, in principle, you're, the, the money in your pocket uh, doesn't change, but it does change fractionally in that technology will improve. So in fact, you will be able to buy a little bit more. So therefore, the globalists are artificially inflating the price of things whether it be oil, gas and power, whether it be the price of vehicles, the move from one type of vehicle to another to, until eventually um, nobody will be able to afford this stuff. No, and the danger is with electric cars is that in a moment, at a flick of a switch, you can suddenly be paying a surge amount so you can be paying extra. So it is absolute control of the populace that someone can just press a button and immediately that energy, that cost to fill up your tank could be 20, 30, 40% increased. Yes, absolutely. Well, we saw during the, the pandemic with the uh, the price of uh, petrol at the pumps, it hit two pounds. Uh, and there are only two prices for petrol. One is the price of oil and that is set by OPEC, which is a corporatist cartel. There's no competition there so it's, it's not a capitalist idea and the second thing in the uk is 45 percent tax so the the price of oil could be brought down in therefore in, in two ways and similarly uh with with the price that we're paying for things such as gas right now i mean you question uh, the, the so-called war in ukraine what would you really do would you suggest to everybody that they hoist a ukrainian flag or would you send your best politicians over there to negotiate with them and say, well, how about a ceasefire and, and let's get the world economy moving again? And in my lifetime, there's been very little negotiation on wars, almost as if many of them are contrived. No, com completely. And what you touched on uh, with the cost, uh, with the tax, I mean, uh, again, people outside, it is a European issue that our energy is taxed so highly. Uh, and then the government try and blame OPEC, try and blame Russia. I mean, how could you blame Russia for your high energy costs whenever you have such a high rate of tax on it? But again, it's this move towards a higher and higher tax economy that simply punishes those who try and work and businesses and try and make a living. Uh, it seems to be a deterrent to actually trying to have a business and make a living. Yeah, it, it does seem, going back to the, the question of immigration and emigration, in fact. Yeah. So uh, 
with, with a, a million people coming into the country and particularly the people coming across on boats, then the taxpayer has to fund their hotels because, of course, we don't we haven't actually built any infrastructure for people to come in. We haven't built the housing, for instance, in in, in 30 years. But of course, with the, the tax that people pay, which is up to 45 percent income tax plus national insurance, which is another form of income tax, uh, plus VAT at 20 percent on everything that you buy, plus import duties, plus fuel duties, plus you know, cigarette duties, whatever you like. I mean, taxation is absolutely everywhere. And of course, to, to make ends meet, um, there will be few alternatives, but to actually leave the country for those who wish to work. I mean, I, I was looking at Bulgaria, of all places, little old Bulgaria on the other side of Europe, where you will struggle to pay corporation tax or income tax anywhere near 15%, 1-5%. There's very little in the way of death duties. Um, their debt to GDP is 20%. Our debt to GDP is 100%, and I think it's about 135% in the States. I mean, this, these are bankruptcy levels. Uh, even the United Nations says that 77 to 80%, that is about as much as any country can really afford uh, in terms of servicing its own debt. So we uh, in the UK, the United States, Japan is at 250%. A lot of these economies are just going to go at some point. No, completely collapse. And and you talked about uh, about tax, and it's a moving away from tax to fund the state towards using tax to punish and shoehorn people into a, a certain way. And that's a, a completely different use of tax from what it was intended, which is to run a country and provide some of the services which everyone needs access to. Yeah, so most things, when we set set out on a uh, on a journey, whether it be tax, whether it be the NHS, whether it be the education system, they're all set up with very good intentions. Uh, unfortunately, if I look at my tax bill, I, I can't say I get any return on investment. There simply is nothing. The, the NHS doesn't work. It doesn't function. You cannot see a doctor. Um, and, and there are policies that reform have that will assist with that so that people can see doctors. But uh, similarly with their education system, I mean, it, it's sort of more Marxist propaganda than a true education, isn't it? So uh, you look at, at the roads and the potholes in the, the roads. So money seems to be given away to these supranational governments. So the IPCC, I think we pay something like 25 billion a year for the, the climate change agenda. We pay, or we certainly used to pay 14 billion a year uh, to the European Union. We still pay the European Union some monies, uh, 14 billion a year for foreign aid. Uh, and then we have people that uh, are living on the, below the poverty line. Um, to, to just to finish off with looking at Oxford, you are, and Reform Party will, will be standing candidates in a general election, but also there is the local election side and local politics and this is an issue although it's pushed by national government it is implemented by local government um, and reform will be part of that pushback at the local level so i mean tell tell the viewers about that yeah so so local elections coming up in may so i think uh they'll start taking on names from from march and, and april um the the process is much easier than a general election um, there is no cost involved for anybody that wanted to stand for reform in, in terms of a local election. All you really need to do is get some paperwork signed and get uh, 
10 counter signatures for, from people in the local area. And you can stand even as a paper candidate without running any sort of campaign at all. Uh, and therefore, we would urge everybody to do that. If you disagree with what the local councils are doing, why not stand yourself? Yeah, and can I uh, repeat that? Because I remember whenever we were getting individuals for the local elections in 2019 for UKIP um, and as campaign manager I remember having a huge map on my wall and trying to make sure we had the candidates but it is a simple process um, and anyone who has a concern of what is happening in your local area you can put your name forward and you can run there is no like in a general election there is a, a deposit to pay for standing yes. That's not the case local. So um, I just want to reiterate that that is a very easy way for you to put yourself forward and to impact and change uh, what has happened in your local area. But I guess all that information will be on the website. If people go to Reform Party UK, they can and sign up to the updates, then they can get all that information. Is that correct, David? That's absolutely right, yes. Okay. Or contact uh, your local branch. Yeah. And, and they will assist you in uh, in standing in any elections. They'll do all the paperwork, provide the paperwork for you. All you'll need to do is fill it out with the 10 signatures. That is it. If you want to run a campaign, that's different. Yes, you might need, need uh, some money. But uh, if you don't want to run a campaign, just stand, put the paperwork forward, and let's try and get some of these uh, left-wing ideologues out uh, and get rid of this idea of 15-minute um, radius areas travel areas because david i i know i've been in this situation i'm sure you have where you've gone uh, to vote and there has not been the party or candidates you want to vote for um and i think by the public those who are supporting reform who agree with what reform are doing that actually standing for reform gives others the option of voting so i think it's the it's the right thing to do as a citizen as a british citizen to actually put yourself forward and do that so uh, I, I, no one should be in the position where they get to the voting booth and look and think well there's no one here um, and i think it's important that there is a reform option on the ballot paper and i'm sure you'd concur with that david yeah absolutely so Reform have their 650 in terms of, of the general election, but there's uh, often often spaces available when it comes to any level of local election. So it's a good opportunity to get involved in politics and a very good chance of winning seats. Yeah, completely. Um, David, thank you so much for coming along. What's, um, we've certainly looked at what's been happening in Oxford uh, with horror and it's great to have someone on who is looking at what's happening and uh, has an interest in the area. So thank you so much for your time and coming along and sharing your thoughts on what's happening in Oxford. Thank you. Not all, and encourage all our viewers and listeners to have a look at the website Reform, reformparty.uk. It's on the screen. It's also in the description. You can click on it uh, and have a look at the website. Have a look at the party. And if you have been disillusioned, by politics don't walk away if it's uh, many of us are interested in politics uh, and are frustrated what's happening do not walk away and be cut off but actually look for alternatives and um, i think what you'll see in the reform party website will be of interest to you so do make sure and use that uh, resource um, i think on that i'll wish our 
viewers a wonderful rest of your day and our listeners those listening on Podbean or any of the podcasting apps who listen on the go thank you for joining us as a pre-record we can put this out on any podcasting app so if you're downloading this and listening to it on your way to work thank you so much for being part of the conversation with us and do pass it on and we look forward to seeing you for our next interview so thank you so much and good night to you all if you like what we do sign up to our mailing list donate share and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org thank you for listening